Good evening, brothers and sisters. Something especially precious about singing the very Word of God, the honesty with which the Psalms speak of our experience, reflected in David's experience, looking forward to Christ's own experience, walking through humiliation, looking to glory, uh, even as we, his people, in union with him are now. Let's turn to our Old Testament reading, Genesis 40, the whole chapter. Genesis 40, reading verses 1 through 23. Let's give our attention to God's holy word. It came to pass after these things that the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief butler and the chief baker. So he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the prison, the place where Joseph was confined. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them. So they were in custody for a while. Then the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, had a dream, both of them, each man's dream in one night, and each man's dream with its own interpretation. And Joseph came into them in the morning and looked at them and saw that they were sad. So he asked Joseph, uh, Pharaoh's officers who were with him in the custody of his Lord's house, saying, Why do you look so sad today? And they said to him, We each have had a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. So Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God. Tell them to me, please. Then the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, Behold, in my dream a vine was before me. And in the vine were three branches, and it was as though it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and its clusters brought forth ripe grapes. Then Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said to him, This is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Now within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your place, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to the former manner when you were his butler. But remember me when it is well with you. And please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. For indeed, I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews. And also, I have done nothing here that they should put me into the dungeon. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, he said to Joseph, I also was in my dream. And there were three white baskets on my head. In the uppermost basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh. And the birds ate them out of the basket on my head. So Joseph answered and said, This is the interpretation of it. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat your flesh from you. Now it came to pass on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. Then he restored the chief butler to his butlership again, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. And then New Testament, 2 Timothy 4, 9 through 18. Be diligent to come to me quickly. For Demas has forsaken me, 
having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica. Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. And Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. Bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas when you come, and the books, especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also must beware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. At my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, so that the message might be preached fully through me, and that all the Gentiles might hear. Also I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Gracious Father in heaven, you've given us your word that we might know you, the true and living God, that we might have eternal life that we might have all that we need for life and godliness, that we might be equipped, complete, for every good work, that we might be grown up into the full maturity of faith. Father, we pray that you yourself, by your Spirit, would teach us your Word. Remind us of those things that we are so prone to forget. Father, we pray that you would accomplish your good purpose now through your holy scriptures, as you apply them to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. No one likes to be forgotten. Uh, There's a story told in my wife's family about the youngest boy, ten siblings, youngest boy, and he was always so anxious about being left behind, being forgotten. They'd pile all the kids in the big 15-passenger van, they'd go somewhere, and... uh, This little guy in the back, he would always be, they'd arrive and he'd always be saying, don't forget me, don't forget me, don't forget me. That was his, that was his great anxiety. What about me? Um, No one, no one likes to be forgotten. Even something small, being forgotten in a small way can, can sting, uh, can hurt a little bit. You said you'd be home at five o'clock. You weren't here till 530 suggest that something else was more important to you, something else took priority for you over that promise that you made to be home at a particular time. Uh, but bigger ways that we can be forgotten, and, and, and the sting of that um, it, it can, be, can be so painful. Um, growing up, a good friend of mine um, did not know his dad. His dad had forgotten him, not just accidentally forgotten him, but chosen to forget him and have nothing to do with him. Uh, that sort of thing, that's devastating. Someone can forget their wedding vows. Uh, someone can, can forget uh, the promises they've made to God. Um, Genesis 39, which we looked at last week, um, was a study in the presence of God. Uh, we saw there the chapter begins and ends with these two bookends of, of God saying to us that he was with Joseph. It's a study in the presence of God. Even in a difficult situation, God was, God was with Joseph. God, 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 God uh, provided, protected Joseph, sustained Joseph, uh, never abandoned him. Now we're in Genesis 40. In Genesis 40, building on that 
idea in Genesis 39, and it builds on it in an unexpected way. Because if 39 is about the presence of God, in, in, a, in a sense, chapter 40 looks more apparently like a study in the absence of God. Joseph, in Genesis chapter 40, looks like he's been forgotten in prison. And the chapter ends with Joseph forgotten in prison. Nothing has changed. But, brothers and sisters, God's absence in chapter 40 is only apparent. It's not not real absence. God is not absent at all. He is is working throughout the whole chapter. He's working according to His promise. He's working on His time. And this chapter teaches us that even when it might appear to be otherwise for a little while, God is not absent. And He has not forgotten His people. God never forgets His people. Isaiah 49, 14 through 16, um, puts this to us so powerfully. It says, Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child? that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb. Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. That is God's word in his covenant to his people. I will not forget you. God has made a covenant with us. He's cut a covenant with us in Christ Jesus Himself. And He has promised us in Christ that He will never forget us. Now, there will be seasons where you look around and the circumstances suggest otherwise. And the feelings of your own heart might testify otherwise. But those are feelings. Those are appearances. God's promise is that He does not forget His people. He cannot forget His people. Dear brothers and sisters, He can no more forget you than He could forget Jesus Christ. Because you're in Christ, in the covenant of grace. Can he forget our Lord Jesus? Can he forget you? That's the main point of the chapter, Genesis 40. This is what it teaches us. God does not forget his people. I want to unpack this under three headings here, working through the text. The first is this. God's providence never stops working for the good of his people. God's providence never stops working for the good of his people. We see this throughout the chapter, but especially here, just looking at the first few verses, one through four. The opening verses of, of the chapter show us a situation in which God's providence is at work for Joseph's good. Joseph, he doesn't know it. He's sitting in prison. He's not doing anything, but the providence of God is working. Uh, two observations here on the providence of God in these opening verses. First, we see that God uses even the sins of those who are not his people for the good of his people. He uses even the sins of those who aren't his people for the good of his people. Uh, Chapter 40 starts by saying this, it came to pass after these things that the butler or the the, the cupbearer, as some translations might put it, and, and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. Narrative just gives it to us as a fact that they offended or probably sinned against Pharaoh in some way. That sin is something they did. It's their own fault. They're responsible for it. But so clearly, God is orchestrating these things. He's got an appointment scheduled for the cupbearer, the baker, and Joseph. 
And so God is using even their sin to, 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 this, to this end. The sin that they committed is, is, is their own fault, but God is superintending it for Joseph's good. They are completely unaware of Joseph, don't know he exists. They don't know Joseph's God. They are unaware of the part they're going to play in God's plan. They simply sinned against Pharaoh and offended him, but God is using even this for his people's good. Second, God also uses the suffering of those who are not his people for the good of his people. He brings the cupbearer, he brings the baker, these important officials in Pharaoh's court, he brings them to Joseph. It's not just a coincidence that they're brought here. God is orchestrating their imprisonment for the good of Joseph. There's a wonderful encouragement, loved ones, as we see God's providence at work in these things. Um, God's providence in Joseph's life encompasses everything. It encompasses people he doesn't even know. God is using all these circumstances around for his good. It encompasses the sins of his brothers, sins of his father before that sent him down here. It encompasses God's providence, encompasses the sins of the Ishmaelite slave traders who bought him and brought him down to Egypt. It encompasses the sins of Potiphar's wife against him. It encompasses the sins of the cupbearer and the baker and the verdicts of Pharaoh and the king of Egypt. All the people in this drama don't realize it. But, but, but God is using them for the good of Joseph and for the good of his people. Everything that is happening in Joseph's life, even the lives of people he's never met, happening for his good. He's, he's just sitting in prison, waiting on the Lord, but God is working in all these ways for his Good. Joseph can't see how it will work out, but he is in the middle of a story whose author loves him and is working everything, every detail, towards the goal of saving and blessing him. That's a glorious promise, brothers and sisters. And, and that, that's the promise that we have. Romans 8.28 God works all things together for the good of those who love him who are called according to his purpose. It's a promise for those who, who are in Christ. If you are in Christ, Christ stands at the center of God's purposes, the center of God's love and his plan and his covenant, God working all things for the good of Christ and the good of his son and all those who are in Christ. Joseph is a, is a picture for us of Jesus uh, in this respect. Everyone connected with Joseph is, is going to be blessed in, in many ways. Uh, his undeserving brothers, his family, so many of the people of Egypt as well blessed through him. All because of the way that God is working by his providence. And so, loved ones, as, as we look around um, at the world around us, we, we should realize that every human being, every circumstance and situation is under the sovereign power of God for his glory and for the good of his people, for, for your good and, and for mine. Uh, every Every president and king and dictator in the whole world is under the absolute sovereign power of God, and God is superintending all things for the good of his people. Your good, my good, glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the circumstances in your life might be challenging, difficult, and you don't see God's hand, 
even as Joseph, sitting in the prison, did not know these things were unfolding. And yet God is working, working for your good in Christ. That's the first thing. God's providence never stops working for your good in Christ. The second thing is that God's promises never prove false. God's promises never prove false. Um, the main action of the, of the chapter concerns this butler, the, the cupbearer, and the baker, and their dreams. On the same night, they both have a dream, uh, strange, vivid dreams. They both wake up, and these dreams were so uh, 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 vivid and, and different for them. They're, they're troubled. They're visibly upset. Um, uh, they're in prison. They can't go down and check in with the wise men in uh, Pharaoh's court and ask for them to interpret the dream. They don't know what these dreams mean. Um, but we see Joseph. It's an interesting little detail the text gives us of Joseph's character. Uh, he walks in. Good morning. He notices they're sad, downcast, and he asks about it. Why, why, why are you Why are you? Uh, why are you sad? He's perceptive. He's compassionate towards them. Um, even in prison himself, looking out for the needs and concerns of others. Um, they tell him why. And, and he says in verse 8, Do not interpretations belong to God. Tell me your dreams, please. What do we make of this? If I got an email from someone this, uh, this coming week, uh, Pastor, really interesting dream the other night. Can we meet on Friday? And give me the interpretation of this of this dream. Um, I would not say what Joseph says. I wouldn't say yes. The interpretation of your dream belongs to God. Uh, let's meet, and I'll tell you all about it. Uh, if I did say that, you should be concerned. Um, why? What, what, what's the difference here? Um, in the Old Testament, we see God using various ways to communicate to His people. He speaks through theophanies, through these visible manifestations of, 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 his, of his presence in some way. We think of, uh, think of the angels coming to visit Abraham, and one of them, uh, two angels, and then, and then a third who represents God himself in, in a visible form of some kind. Um, or Moses, the burning bush, that's a theophany. God's, physical presence, uh, God's presence manifested in a physical way uh, to his people. Sometimes God speaks to his people through direct speech. He can do that. He speaks directly to Moses on the mountain. Uh, we're told in Exodus 33:11 that God speaks with Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Other times, God speaks through a prophet. A prophet says, thus saith the Lord. Here's what God, speaking through me, says to you. Hebrews 1, verse 1, summarizes this. It says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. So, Old Testament, God speaking in all these, all these varied ways. But then Hebrews 1-2 says, in these last days, God has spoken to us in His Son. So before these last days, God spoke in all these varied ways, but now He's given us a final, definitive uh, a full best word that he has to say, the ultimate word, which is the word made flesh, Jesus Christ himself. God has told us in Christ everything that we need to know. He's given us the Gospels. He's given us the epistles. He's given us this, uh, the, 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 this New Testament and all the Old Testament pointing forward to Christ to tell us about our Lord Jesus and open up for us the way of salvation and show us the very wisdom of God.
What a rich resource and treasure that is. So we don't need the dreams anymore. We've got the Word of God to read. Christ himself to see there. But in Joseph's day, he can't pull out his Old Testament, flip through the pages. Right? There's, no, there's no scriptures yet. Uh, there's oral tradition about, about the Word of God. There's the stories handed down from Abraham and Isaac and his father Jacob. Um, and then there's other things, dreams. Joseph himself has had dreams, God speaking to him. Um, so Joseph knows that if there's this unique dream that they've had, that that could be God himself speaking through them. And he here clearly knows God himself has spoken, God himself has sent these dreams. And therefore, God alone can tell what the interpretation is. He has faith in God. Faith in in the fact that God will give him the ability to make these dreams clear to them, even before he knows what the dreams are. That God will give him the wisdom and the insight to this. It shows us that even in this moment, Joseph is trusting in the covenant promises of God, that he is still part of God's people, and that God will be with him and open up this matter to him. So they share their dreams. Cupbearer goes first. He says in verses 9 through 11, um, Behold, in my dream a vine was before me. In the vine were three branches. It was as though it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and its clusters brought forth ripe grapes. Then Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Joseph hears the dream. He immediately seems to know what it means. Um, he, he says, uh, three days, Pharaoh's going to restore you to your place. You were, you were in a place of honor. You were brought low. In three days, you're going to be raised up and put in a place of honor again. God's promise to you that this will happen. And then the baker takes his turn. Um, his dream is not so good. Uh, he dreams that he has this basket on his head with all this, all these baked goods in it, and uh, and the birds come and take it away. And Joseph says, uh, "You're going to face judgment. You will be lift, Your head will be lifted up too, but not in glory, but in judgment, and you will be you'll be hanged." And then three days later, both dreams come true. The cupbearer is restored. The baker is executed. Why these dreams? They're interesting. Makes an interesting story. But why did God choose to reveal these things to Joseph in this way? Why does he reveal to these two men their fate? Why does this play out the way it does? What is God teaching Joseph? And what is he teaching us? A couple of things. Uh, First, I think he's teaching Joseph that God is the one who brings low and God is the one who, who, who exalts according to his power, his wisdom, his timing. We saw this this morning. We read first from First Samuel in the Song of Hannah, how she sings, praise to God, who raises up the humble, brings down the proud. Um, God is the one who's in, in charge of these things. Pharaoh might have, might, might have been the one to pass the verdict, but God is the one who brought them down. God is the one in his time who can bring them back up if he chooses or if he doesn't choose. And I think through, through, through showing this to, to Joseph, these dreams to Joseph, God is saying to him, I have determined every single day you will spend in this prison that I am sovereign over it. And as easy as it was for me to, to bring the cupbearer out in just three days, 
I can do it for you. Trust me. Second, I also think he's reminding Joseph that his word always proves true. Because that's what happens in the story. The, this dream, these dreams are revealed, and then it happens exactly according to the way God said it would happen. Not a word of what was spoken, uh, what was promised by God, failed. And, and, and so God is saying to Joseph that his word to Joseph, his promise to Joseph, is exactly the same. That if God kept his word to those two pagans, how much more is he going to keep his word to you, Joseph? when you're his chosen and his beloved son, his child, in the covenant of grace, he has promised to be with him and to bless him. So it's a reminder to Joseph. It will enable him. He's he's still going to spend two years in this prison. And it's these, these promises. God is with you. God has not forgotten you. God will keep his word to you. That, that, that's what keeps him through it. And brothers and sisters, that I think is the primary lesson we need to learn here. That God keeps his word to us. Over and over, the scriptures tell us to, to trust that God's word proves true. That it never proves false. Um, Joshua twenty one forty five says, Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. There Israel is. They've been brought into the promised land. And, and, and God says, everything I said has happened. Everything's come true. Um, another text, a well-known text, Isaiah 55, 11, God says, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God is saying his word, he speaks, the word goes out, and it happens according to his word. Brings to mind the creation. God speaks, creation happens. God speaks, salvation happens. His purpose, every purpose to which he speaks, every promise of his word proves true. Hebrews 6.18 says it is impossible for God to lie. It's impossible for God to lie. To lie. And there's one thing God says about his word and about his promises that's so important. It's repeated three times. Um, three different passages of scripture, almost identical, speaking a very similar thing. Second um, Samuel twenty two, thirty one. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. Just in case we missed it in 1 Samuel, it's there in Psalm 18.30. This God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He's a shield for all those who take refuge in Him. And just in case you missed it in Psalm 18.30, it shows up in Proverbs 30, verse 5. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. Every syllable God has said to you, brothers and sisters, is reliable and trustworthy and will prove true. And it is supposed to be, that is supposed to be a refuge for you. I remember um, after just a particularly trying season uh, of life for me, um, back, back in seminary, kind of coming out of a, just a challenging semester, all kinds of things going on, difficulties we faced, um, and then coming out of it and 
had a brief respite afterwards um, and cracked open God's Word and was reading Psalm 91. And 91 verse 4 speaks so clearly to this. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. His, his faithfulness, the, the word is trustworthiness. His truth, the word he's spoken that proves true, the promise he's made that is absolutely reliable is a shield. Against the circumstances and the challenges and the temptations and the slings and arrows uh, of life, he's, you've got a shield that nothing can get through. The promise of God, the faithfulness of God, the utter reliability of God. It's for you to hide in. Hide in the promises of God. They've already proved true, haven't they? 2 Corinthians 1.20, all the promises find their yes in Christ. All the, all the promises He's spoken to us right, have, have already begun in some sense to prove true in our Lord Jesus Christ. All the promises of, uh, of the Old Testament pointing forward to Christ. Christ comes and He begins the fulfillment of all of them. And so how can we not see that all the words that He's spoken will be finally and fully proved true? In our Lord Jesus. All right, so we've seen now uh, God's providence never stops working. God's promises never prove false. And now third, third thing tonight. God's people are never forgotten. God's people are never forgotten. Uh, we, we come to the end of the chapter. Joseph's been reminded of God's faithfulness. Right? He's just seen God's word prove true. And he knows God's word to him, that I will be with you. I will, I will not forsake you. Um, but it looks like he's been forgotten. Uh, he asked the chief cupbearer to remember him to Pharaoh. He told him, look, I, I, I did this kindness to you, interpreted the dream for you, um, displayed the wisdom of God. In a, in, a, in, a, in a unique way, uh, I, I'm, here, I'm, I'm here because I was, I, I was falsely accused of something. Mention me to Pharaoh and do what you can uh, uh, to, to get me out. Um, you'd think that Chief Cupbearer would be so grateful for what Joseph did that he would immediately go and, and, and speak to Pharaoh. Pharaoh, you'll never guess what happened. Three days ago, I had this dream, and Joseph in the prison, he, he told me the interpretation. The blessing of God is on him. He's there, he's there on false charges. But he forgets him. And we don't know if it was just that he got slammed with a load of work as soon as he got back on the job, drove it out of his mind, or if he didn't want to push his luck with Pharaoh and decided just, you know, don't need to worry about Joseph. Let it go. It's not clear. Um, but he forgets him. Um, Joseph is forgotten. And from a human perspective, that brief glimmer of hope that shone into the prison there where Joseph was, here's this guy connected with the king. I can get out. And that brief glimmer of hope seems to be gone entirely. Joseph's forgotten. He's been faithful once again. And he's been forgotten But he's not forgotten by God. He'll spend two years there in the prison, but then God will bring him out. God will bring him out with, uh, with uh, just a, a wonderful work of his providence and bring him out not just out of prison, but to the second highest position in the land overnight from, from a forgotten criminal to, uh, to, to second only to Pharaoh. God has not forgotten him, and that, that makes... 
all the difference for him. Um, we read earlier Second uh, Timothy 4, 9-18. We saw something there in Paul's experience. So similar to, um, to Joseph's. Uh, Paul there, the end of his life, uh, he's on trial before the Roman emperor, and he's forgotten by all the people around him. Paul is hes the great missionary, he's the great apostle, the great servant of Christ, he, the great theologian of the New Testament. He's written all these letters and he's served so faithfully. And, and he's there on trial and, and his friends forget him. Something comes up. So they had to do something, but didn't make it a priority for one reason or another. They forgot him. He's been betrayed uh, by, by others, um, and he's hurt by it. You can see it in the words that he says. Who wouldn't be hurt when you're forgotten in that way? But, but he's not crushed or broken by being forgotten by people. And we read the reason why in his words in verses 16 through 17. He says, At my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. Paul knew, even as everyone else forgot him, God didn't forget. God was with me. He was right there beside me. He stood with me. He strengthened me. He was with me. That's his promise, and I know it. There are seasons, dear ones, in the Christian life where where you feel forgotten. Forgotten by friends, forgotten by family, perhaps. Even sometimes you feel forgotten by God himself. We sang it together earlier, Psalm 13. Um, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? The one who knew that more than Joseph, more than Paul, more than you, of course, is our Lord Jesus Christ. His cry on the cross, Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me, profound anguish as he feels forsaken and abandoned by God. But he goes on trusting. He goes on trusting that God had not forgotten him. God was pouring out his wrath on him, but God had not abandoned him. The Trinity was not severed at the cross. God had not abandoned him, uh, even as he poured out his wrath on him as the sin-bearer. God was preparing to raise him up in glory. God was delighting in him. As he saw this perfect obedience and devotion and submission offered up to him. God had not forgotten him. And, 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 and for those who are in Christ, to be in Christ is to know Christ was not forgotten. And I will not be forgotten either. Um, We will not be abandoned, forgotten, or forsaken by our God because of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the pattern we see. We see it in Joseph, humiliation, and then raised up. Our Lord Jesus Christ, humiliation, exaltation. It's the pattern we're walking through. Yes, the circumstances of trial and difficulty and feeling forgotten will come, but they won't last. God will raise us up in Christ. You're not forgotten. Let's pray. Our Lord, we thank you for the covenant of grace, for the reliability of this covenant you've made, for the certainty of the promises that you've given, which are yes and amen in Christ. Father, we pray that we would lift up our eyes to you, the promise-keeping God, that we would know your word, know your promise, know you're with us, 
and that you would remember us for Jesus' sake. We pray it in his name. Amen.